end times, the return of Jesus. Isn't this a sermon series you've been waiting for? I hope so. I want to welcome all of us at Center Street Church, those of us here at Center Campus, as well as those joining us from our campus in Bearspa, Bridgeland, Airdrie, and South Calgary. And I also want to welcome our online viewers as well. Since the onset of the coronavirus, I've had numerous conversations to do with end times. I've talked to several concerned people from our congregation who asked me, what does COVID have to do with the second coming of Jesus? And whether the COVID vaccines are the mark of the beast? The larger events of this past year have stirred a lot of interest about when Jesus is going to return. Pestilences and earthquakes, natural disasters, wars, political unrest, persecution. We have seen so many of the signs associated with the coming of Jesus converge this past year. And as a result, there is a rise in end-time predictions in certain Christian circles. Some people have been busy trying to look where the Bible refers to the coronavirus. They look for some cryptic secret message hidden in the Bible that needs to be decoded. And my response to that is, all the best. You can search all through the Bible and you won't find any reference to this specific pandemic that we are in. Now, when we look at current events and try to find a Bible reference that predicts this event, such an approach is quite arbitrary. We're looking at the Bible through the lens of the current events of our world and that would lead to misinterpretation when in fact we should be doing The other way around, we look at our events through the lens of the Bible. That will give us a far better perspective. And I want us to know, we are not the only generation that has asked this question, might Jesus return in our lifetime? Christians of all generations, all through history, have wrestled with end time prophecies. Is Jesus going to come in our time, or is this event long way off? Books, sermons, seminars on end times have always been popular. And for instance, the fictional book series Left Behind has 16 volumes, and seven of them became a New York Times bestsellers. 80 million copies of these books have been sold, and in addition to that, they've come up with Left Behind movies, music, they even have left behind board games and video games. End time prophecy is a hobby, a fascination for some Christians and speaks even to the curiosity of some non-Christians. Now, I'm preaching on this topic today, not because I'm an end time expert who has spent hours studying charts and timetables that decode these mysteries. I'm preaching this primarily because it is the section in the Gospel of Matthew that we have not addressed yet. I tried pushing it to the very end and wanted to plan my holiday so somebody else could do this, but it didn't work out. You know, just kidding. I'm actually quite excited to take on this topic, and I feel it is very relevant for the times that we are living in. In our study of the Gospel of Matthew, 
we've covered several themes this last year and a half. And now we will be wrapping up our study in Matthew with this final topic of end times and Jesus' return. And over the next three weeks, we will dive into Matthew chapter 24. To give you a little bit of the context of Matthew 24, the disciples of Jesus were admiring the Jewish temple in Jerusalem, the magnificent building that was seen as the pride of the nation and considered to be the dwelling place of God. It was a thing of remarkable beauty. Yet Jesus says something shocking to his disciples that their jaws must have dropped when they heard this. Jesus says, you're looking at the temple and admiring its physical beauty, but before you know, this temple is coming down. Not a trace of this building will remain. It will be utterly destroyed. That is like saying to an American, the White House is turning into a rubble in just a matter of time. That's the kind of effect it would have had. So strong were these words of Jesus that it was used against him in his trial before the Jewish Sanhedrin. And you need to know, within a few decades of this prophecy, everything that Jesus says here about the temple came to pass. The fall of Jerusalem took place in AD 70, roughly 35 years after this prophecy was given. The Romans were upset with the Jews for their constant rebellion and decided to finally put an end to all this. So they ransacked the entire city. They slaughtered thousands of people. The the attack culminated with the burning and destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. The temple was just razed to the ground. And it has not been rebuilt ever since. And the Jews still mourn over the loss of this sacred space that they revered so much. Now, going back to Matthew 24, the disciples were stunned when they heard this prophecy. How can this be? And later, they came up to Jesus and they asked some clarifying questions. In Matthew 24, verse 3, it says, As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? The Mount of Olives, a prophet Zechariah had prophesied that the Messiah would stand on this very mountain when he returned to set up his kingdom. And no wonder the setting prompted these questions from the disciples. There were two parts to their questions. First of all, they asked, when will the destruction of the temple take place? And secondly, they wanted to know, what will be the sign of Jesus' return at the end of the age? Now, in the disciples' minds, these two events took place simultaneously. They thought these things will go hand in hand. Jesus gives a response to their questions through this long discourse in Matthew 24. This is a difficult passage to interpret, so I want to warn you here. Probably the most challenging of all chapters in the Gospels. And there are three major views of interpreting Matthew chapter 24. And these views have been endorsed by well-meaning, good Christian scholars. So we have to approach this text not with a sense of dogmatism, but in humility 
knowing that good Christians can disagree on these things and still worship together and fellowship together. So here are the three major views. Some believe Jesus' discourse here in Matthew 24 has entirely to do with AD 70, the destruction of the temple. Other scholars believe that Jesus' discourse here in Matthew 24 has entirely to do with the future. It has very little to do with the present. And the third set of scholars see this as a reference to AD 70 as well as the end of the age. So this view says Jesus is weaving his answers in response to the two questions that the disciples come up with. So these are braided together. They are intertwined. And that is the view that I hold on to. I believe Jesus wants us to interpret these words with a double lens. One close-up lens that will help us to see the events surrounding Jesus' time and right after his departure. And this is all about the destruction of the temple. Many things that Jesus says here in Matthew 24 applies to the immediate context. But Jesus also uses a a long-distance lens to give us a glimpse of the traumatic events that will take place throughout history till he returns. And this is not unlike other Old Testament prophets who follow the same model of prophecy. Their prophecies have a dual fulfillment, one for their day and age and the other that has to do with the future. So I'll be using this dual fulfillment approach as we interpret the text in Matthew 24. Now, I've given you a longer introduction just to set up this series and help you to understand the larger context. So let's now read our text for today from Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 to 13. And if you're physically able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 to 13. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things? He asked. Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Hellas, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. At the time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we believe in the full inspiration of the Bible. 
We trust that even the difficult portions of the Bible have been given to us for a specific purpose. So would you help us to understand the truths of your word that we just read? You will give us clarity and understanding. I pray, Lord, that most importantly, we will understand the, the application of this text to our lives, that we will be able to not just hear your word, but apply your word to our lives. So come and speak to us in the power of your spirit. We pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You all may be seated. One of the helpful analogies that Jesus uses to refer to the end times and the signs that are associated with it is comparing it with labor pain. Now, just as I'm not an end-time expert, I don't think I'm an expert on labor pain either, so bear with me. The process of giving birth, the contractions, the anguish, the screaming, the blood, sweat, and tears, giving way for joy at the very end, is just a great visual image of what we are experiencing as we await the new kingdom. Now, having witnessed the arrival of all four of our children, I can relate with this metaphor. And I have a great regard for moms who go through this painstaking process of giving birth to a baby, and they can say, let's do this again. Wow, that is courage. You know, one thing doctors highlight uh, repeatedly to first-time parents who are expecting is don't come to the hospital at the onset of labor pain. Now, labor pains are sporadic to start with. They go through several stages, and it starts gradually, and it builds up. And as the time comes near, the contractions get stronger. They come with greater frequency, like waves. And about the time when the woman is ready to deliver, it reaches its climax. So you have to time your arrival to the hospital very carefully. You don't want to be too early, and you don't want to be too late. The end result of all of this is worth it because you will have a baby to take home in a car seat. Now, In the same way, the kingdom that Jesus has launched is coming in all its fullness one day. But we are in the middle of birthing pain. We don't know what stage we are in, but it's not very pleasant right now. There are signs of anguish, tears, and cries. And we are lurching forward to this day when the kingdom will be fully established one day. It will be a powerful breakthrough that will come in all its fullness, and it's going to be spectacular and worth all of our sacrifices. What Jesus says to us here in Matthew 24 is, don't see the signs of labor and come to the conclusion the return is going to happen right now. This is going to be a long process as all of creation groaning under the bondage of sin awaits the coming of the new heaven and new earth. So here in verse 8 of Matthew 24, Jesus says, all these are the beginning of birth pains. So when we experience earth-shattering, faith-jarring events, 
We need to keep the right attitude in our minds. Now, I believe the, the Bible doesn't give us a clear blueprint of when Jesus is going to return. We will make a fool of ourselves if we were to come up with dates. That is a bad idea, so we don't want to go there. The Bible is more interested in how we live our lives now in light of the reality of Jesus' second coming. That's where we need to pour our energy. And that is the emphasis of the text here in Matthew 24 and the focus of our whole series. Here's a disclaimer. I don't watch hours of videos on the internet on this topic of end times. My library is not full of end time books and I don't subscribe to newsletters of end time ministries. I'm not criticizing others who do that. God bless them. They have that passion. But my personal philosophy has been to devote myself to the work that God has entrusted to me. But make no mistake, I believe with all my heart that Jesus is coming back and we should keep this in the forefront of our minds, whatever activities we are engaging in as Christians. But as the popular adage goes, when it comes to the second coming, we are not part of the planning committee, we are part of the welcoming committee. So what Jesus says here regarding the signs of the end times characterizes the entire New Testament period, starting from the ascension of Jesus until his glorious visible return. All generations will experience the signs that Jesus is talking about here. It was true of the first century. It is true of the 21st century that we are in. The difference will be in frequency and intensity as the time draws near. I look at verse 5 of our text, what Jesus says. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. Now that was true of the first century. Because in the first century world, there were many so-called messiahs. And nothing has changed. Even today, we have so many false saviors who abound. So many pseudo-Christs who are out there, they claim that they have the answers to the world's problems. It is easy to create a Jesus in our own image. Just project all of our cultural prejudices on this Jesus. This Jesus of our own creation answers all of our prayers so we can fulfill all that we have in mind for our life. The real Jesus doesn't fulfill all of your dreams. He will wreck some of your dreams. He will mess up with some of your plans if they are contrary to what God has in mind for you. A Jesus who just doesn't offend anyone, who lets you stay in your comfort zone, but never challenges you. A Jesus who always endorses your view of life and wants to prosper you and bless you and give you all your heart's desires is not the Jesus of the Bible. Now, the Bible doesn't just give us signs of the end times, but it also issues a call to action. So in light of the false messiahs and false prophets all around, Jesus warns us with these words, and this is a takeaway for us from a passage applicable for all generations. Verse 4, 
Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. That is a warning applicable for the first century. They were going to be tested by several false messiahs who will make all kinds of deceptive claims to garner support. And this warning is applicable for us because our generation faces this ominous danger of ignoring the historical, biblical Jesus and replacing him with someone whose teachings are more palatable to our taste. So exercise discernment and don't fall for the imposters. The Jesus of the Bible is all we need for no one else comes even close. So after talking about the false prophets and the false messiahs, Jesus refers to wars and natural disasters in our text. Look at verses 6 and 7. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. So the next end time sign that Jesus is referring to is political unrest. The world will be ravaged by wars and nations in conflict. History, if you look at it, has always been violent. A New York Times article stated, of the past 3,400 years, humans have been entirely at peace for 268 of them, or just 8% of recorded history. And even today, as you look around, there's stories of all kinds of armed conflicts. And granted, we've not seen anything large-scale like a world war in this 21st century, but we all know things are simmering and anything can happen in a matter of time. Nuclear weapons are a cause of concern because if they go into wrong hands, they can cause massive destruction. Jesus also makes reference here to famines, earthquakes, and the parallel passage to our text in Luke talks about pestilences that are associated with end times. So that is the reason a global pandemic like the coronavirus stirs end time discussions among Christians. Is COVID the mark of the end times? And the answer is yes. COVID is a clear warning that we are living in a world that has been torn apart by sin. This is not the world that God originally created it to be. The world that we live in is slowly drawing to a close. And a global pandemic is a confirmation of this reality that the end is drawing near. But on the other hand, COVID is yet another contraction in the birthing process. It doesn't necessarily signify an immediate end, but that we are getting there and it will be one day when the end will come. And COVID vaccines surely are not the mark of the beast. Now, how can I say that so confidently? Now, a person who receives the mark of the beast, whatever it is, makes a conscious choice to side with Satan. You cannot be 
tricked into this decision. It is a conscious, deliberate decision on an individual's part to renounce their faith in Jesus and then take sides with the enemy. That has to be a cognitive action with total awareness of what you are doing. And if that is true, clearly it doesn't apply to the vaccines that people are taking today for COVID. Also keep in mind, the world has seen pandemics all through the ages. This is not the first time something like this has happened. Throughout history, millions have died from pandemics. Some of the past pandemics were way worse than what we are experiencing today. But all pandemics, including COVID, confirms that we are living in the last days and we should be expecting the return of Jesus just as a mother in labor pain eagerly expects the birth of her child. Now, we talked about the, the signs of wars and earthquakes and natural disasters, but here's the deal when it comes to our attitude. The Bible does not say all these terrible things like wars, political unrest, natural disasters will happen, so just cover in fear, hide in your basement, don't venture out, don't come together for corporate worship, be passive, sit by your window, and look up to the sky to see if Jesus is coming back. That's not what we find in the scripture. That's not our takeaway from this text. The second takeaway is, don't be alarmed when you see signs like these. Stay calm. Don't be disturbed by all of this. Jesus says explicitly here, do not fear. The world may be in chaos, but God is still in control. And here is the assurance we have. No matter how bleak things around us look like, the world will not come to an end because some nation pushed a nuclear button or some virus just goes out of control. No, the world will come to an end when Jesus returns in splendor and glory. He will put an end to this world and wipe off all evil from the face of the earth. That is the bedrock of our faith, the strength of our Christian convictions, which helps us right now as we are living in these bleak times to live confidently. So that is why Jesus is not just focusing on the signs, but on the attitudes and the character qualities of how we ought to live in light of all of this. Don't be deceived and don't be alarmed. Jesus goes on to talk about another sign of the end times. It's the persecution of believers. Good verse 9. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. Christians all through the ages have been persecuted. The Bible is clear, all who seek to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Persecution from friends, you may be ostracized for your faith. 
persecution from family. They may mock you for your love for Jesus. Persecution from the society where Christians are seen as the problem, where we get blamed for everything. And what has been true all through the church age is true today. Interestingly, when the church is liked by the society or approved by the society, then it has to examine its message because chances are we have compromised the gospel. But when we preach the undiluted message of the gospel, persecution becomes inevitable and we will be hated because we belong to Jesus. And Jesus doesn't want us to sulk about it. He doesn't want us to retreat from our mission just because we are going to face oppositions. Instead, see what he says in our text, verses 12 and 13. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. See, we are engrossed by the wickedness that are that's all around us, if we are obsessed with all these things and that are happening and we are fixated on the signs that are all around us, then it can have a wrong effect. We will become disheartened and our love for God and our love for people can go cold. We will start arguing about silly doctrinal differences and split churches because we think our view of the end times is right. The Bible's message on end times is not for us to figure out the timing of Jesus' return. No one can figure that out. That is God's prerogative. But the end time message of the Bible is to inspire present faithfulness. It should make us endure and persevere in our faith journey. Jesus declares in our text... The one who stands till the very end will be saved. The need of the hour is for Christians who stand firm. For greater tests are going to come. Hear me. Far worse things than we have ever seen. Times of great tribulation. And Christians will be tested. The ones who endure are those who can stand firm. When you have that solid foundation, a life that is built on Jesus Christ, and you can be assured that nothing can persuade you from your commitment, no power can dispel you, you can persevere against all odds by fixing your eyes on Jesus. We don't fix our eyes on the current events and the news, but always remember, eyes fixed on Jesus. That's the way to live in the end times. So let's be inspired by how Jesus stood firm and overcame oppositions. For Jesus is the role model for our faith. Let me close with this story. World-famous Russian author, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, was sent to a Siberian prison because he had criticized communism and Stalin. 
And there he was in prison, languishing under such deplorable conditions, engaging in back-breaking labor and facing such inhumane treatment. Time went by and still nothing seemed to change in the circumstance. It went on from one year after another. And the hopelessness of this entire situation finally got to Solzhenitsyn. What is the point in living when in all probability I'll end up dying in this prison? We'll never get out, never be able to see the world. So he decided to just give up and throw the towel. Solzhenitsyn decided to end his life. Knowing that suicide would be against God's will, he thought it would be better for a military guard to kill him. The easiest way to get shot was to disobey explicit orders. All he had to do was to put his shovel down and sit on a bench, and when a soldier commands him to get up, just ignore the command, and surely he will be beaten to death or shot. He had seen this happen over and over. So that day, Solzhenitsyn puts his shovel down, sits on the bench, closes his eyes, thinking, this is my end. And at that moment, he felt someone standing next to him. It was a fellow prisoner, someone he had not seen before. And this man took his shovel and drew a sign of the cross on the dirt floor, just in front of Solzhenitsyn's feet. The guy just walked away and got back to his work. And as Solzhenitsyn sat there, looking at the inscription of the cross on the dirt floor, his perspective suddenly changed. He came to see the hope behind this symbol, for the cross is the ultimate symbol of endurance. If there's anyone who stood firm in the midst of trials, it's Jesus. Solzhenitsyn later said that his entire being was energized by that little reminder of the hope and courage that we have in Christ. So that day, Solzhenitsyn got up from that bench, picked up his shovel, and went right back to work. And nothing outward had changed. The circumstances were still the same. But deep inside, he had received hope. Maybe you're sitting here or watching this online and you've been discouraged or even shaken by the events that have happened this past year. And you're struggling to just make sense of all that is going on. I want you to fix your eyes once again on the cross. The simple sign of endurance that helps us to remain firm and grounded and strong in our faith no matter the circumstances. For the one who persevered and stood firm till the very end can help you in your moment of weakness. So just as a mother endures labor pain and doesn't give up halfway through just as they persevere until the point they hold the baby in their hands. In the same way, we are called to endure and remain faithful until the very end we see Jesus face to face. 
So watch out. There are deceptions out there. Don't be afraid. God is in control over our circumstances. And stand firm until the very end. The world that we are in lies in bondage to sin and the forces of darkness. But we await the new kingdom that Jesus has already inaugurated and will be fully consummated when he returns.